Mark 15, 16 through 37. And these verses take place just after Jesus had been put on trial. You could call it a mock trial. There was nothing fair about it. And the people there, most of them had already made up their mind about Jesus. They had already decided that they were going to kill him. Even though he was undeserving of death, he had done nothing undeserving of death. Uh, the people there had their hearts set on killing Jesus because they did not want to hear what he had to say. They did not want to hear the things that they had been hearing for the last few years as he had been going around and ministering to them and trying to teach them God's word. He was trying to help them to understand God's word rightly. He was trying to under, help them to understand what really mattered. You see, some of the people of Jesus' day, they had just missed God's word. Now, maybe accidentally or maybe purposefully, but when Jesus came along, he tried to correct some of their thoughts that were incorrect. And the people didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say because oftentimes what Jesus taught would call the people to look at their self, to look at their own heart. And as with them, so it is with us. We don't often like to look at our own heart because we don't want to change our ways. We, we like what we are doing. We don't want to feel wrong. We don't want to feel convicted. We don't want to be told we are sinners. And so we sometimes may not want to hear the message. Maybe when we're at a church or perhaps when we're reading on our own, there may be times that the Holy Spirit speaks into our life things that we don't really care to hear. The people of Jesus' day, not all of them, but many of them didn't want to hear the truth because it was going to affect how they were living. It was going to make them have to admit that they were not righteous with God. They were very religious, many of them, but they weren't righteous. They didn't have a right standing with God. They had misunderstood God's love, and they had missed the Messiah that God had sent. So their solution to the problem was, we will just kill this man who claims to be the Son of God. We will kill the man who is stepping on our toes by preaching and teaching to us accurately the, God's, uh, the, the Word of God and what it means. Their solution to the problem is we will kill him and that will take care of everything. So Jesus was betrayed by one of his own disciples, a man who he had invested the last two and a half, three years of his life in, teaching him the Word of God, showing him uh, God's power through many miracles that had taken place. And here one close to Jesus in his inner circle betrayed Jesus. He betrayed him with a kiss. And one interesting thing, I can't remember which gospel account it's in, but as Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss, the first word out of Jesus' mouth is he refers to Judas as friend. Now Jesus loved Judas. Jesus loved him to the end. If we had one who had betrayed us, uh, probably the first thing we wouldn't say, would we, would, we wouldn't call them friend. We would say, how dare you? I loved you. I gave everything for you. How could you do this? But Jesus referred to Judas as friend in one of the deepest, darkest hours of his life. And upon Jesus being betrayed by one of his close friends, Jesus faced a mock trial where the people decided that the best thing to do would be to crucify him. A punishment that was reserved for the worst of the worst. Crucifixion was, was set aside for the, 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 the worst people who did the worst crimes. 
And in all of God's Word, you can read the pages all you want to, you can never find one crime that Jesus committed. You can find nothing that was deserving of death whatsoever in the Scripture. But with that being said, the people of Jesus' day who saw Jesus, who heard Him preach and teach them, who saw the miracles that He did, or either by word of mouth heard of the great miracles that Jesus had done, they wanted Him dead. And not only did they want Him dead, they wanted Him to, wanted him to suffer the worst death that was reserved for the worst of the worst. And that's where these passages today begin. Mark chapter 15, verse 16. Then the soldiers led him away into the courtyard, that is, headquarters, and called the whole company together. They dressed him in a purple robe, twisted together a crown of thorns, and put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail the king of the Jews! They kept, they kept hitting him on the head with a reed and spitting on him. Getting down on their knees, they were paying him homage. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple robe, put his clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. They forced a man coming in from the country who was passing by to carry Jesus' cross. He was Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus. And they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means skull place. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Then they crucified him and divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. Now it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge written against him was the king of the Jews. They crucified two criminals with him, one on his right and one on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled that says, and he was counted among outlaws. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, Ha! The one who would demolish the sanctuary and rebuild it in three days? Save yourself by coming down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes were mocking him to one another and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him were toning him. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, Look, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, fixed it on a reed, offered him a drink, and said, Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. But Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning and we thank you for these words. But God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice that was made, for what he went through, dear Lord. And God, help us not to forget that he went through this for us, for each one in this room today. God, he was mocked and he was beaten and he was nailed to a cross and he suffered 
And he did so because he loved us, God. And help each one in this room to know that today. Help each one in this room to not forget that, to not fail to realize that. God, maybe there are some who, who haven't realized that Jesus loves them, who haven't realized that they are sinners, God, in need of a Savior. Help the Holy Spirit to reveal that to our heart today. God, if there are those of us who are in here that are already yours, dear Lord, maybe we're just not doing good. Maybe we're not on fire for you spiritually, dear Lord. Maybe we've forgotten how great of a grace we've received. God, maybe we don't have the joy that we should have in our life because, God, we're not living for you like we should be living for you. So I pray, God, that if there are some in here today that have forgotten the grace and the joy and the mercy that was poured out on that cross through Jesus Christ, that we remember it today, God, and remember how great of a gift that is. God, I pray that you hide me behind the cross. I pray that you humble me this morning. I pray that you would speak your words through me. God, let the Holy Spirit let me know just what to say, to say what needs to be said, to not ramble on, and to be quiet when it's done, dear Lord. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Such a powerful message in these verses that we read today. Here the people did not care about Jesus, at least the ones that we see in this text. Yes, there were many who did believe Jesus. Oftentimes we focus on those who, who wanted to kill Jesus and, and, and think that all of the people were against Jesus, but there were many in Jesus' day who believed Jesus. There were some there who were mourning what was taking place. But in the text that we look at today, we see those who mocked Jesus. We see those who doubted Jesus. We saw that to them, Jesus was worthless. The only thing that they considered worth that had to do with Jesus were his clothes. As they cast lots for his clothes as he was on the cross, they had no concern for Jesus and what he had taught and who he was. They merely only cared about getting rid of him. And we see them mock him. We see them put a robe on him and a crown of thorns. And all the while, Jesus, being the humble Savior that he is, he sat there and he took it. And it's really amazing to think. It's really amazing to think about what Jesus went through. As we see in these texts and other texts that talk about it, it's amazing to think that, that a man in the flesh, yes, he was fully God, but he, he felt pain. He wasn't immune to pain. He felt the same emotions. He was in agony as he went to Gethsemane to pray and prayed, God, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Don't allow this to happen, God. He was in agony. He was fully human. He fully felt the pain. But yet he went through all of these things, never complained, and he took it. Now, how could, how could a man take such pain? How could a man go through such suffering and just take it? Especially a man who was innocent. He could do it because he loved us. He even loved those who were there and nailing him to the cross. That's what's unbelievable. He loves you and I. Maybe some of you need to hear that today. You may not realize it. You may not think that God loves you because of your situations, your circumstances, things that aren't working out right, but I want to tell you that God does love you. It does not mean that if you seek the Lord and turn to Him that everything is going to magically get better. 
Yes, God does give us strength to get through things, but sometimes we still go through hard times as brothers and sisters in Christ. But God loves you. You don't believe that Jesus loves you. You need to read this text again and again and again. Because it is only true love that would suffer in the way that Jesus Christ suffered. As we read these texts, there may be some questions that come into our minds. Maybe even for those of us who have gone to church our whole life. Maybe for those of us who have read this text our whole life. Maybe even for some who are in in Christ and, and believe, but you still may have some questions and you're not quite sure what the crucifixion of Jesus Christ has to do with you. You may be questioning some of these things, not from a a sense of of disbelief or doubt, but just from a sense of you don't understand why Jesus had to die on the cross. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Even Pilate himself, as Jesus' own people took him before Pilate and said, Pilate, you need to kill this man. He has blasphemed the Lord. He needs to die. And Pilate, who was the ruler at that time, uh, took Jesus in and began to question Jesus. And Jesus didn't have much to say to Pilate. He answered his questions as Pilate uh, spoke with him. And after briefly speaking with Pilate, we see through the text that Pilate uh, goes out and asks the people, well, why have you brought this man to me? Why? Why do you want to kill this man? What has he done? Why must this man be crucified? And the crowd jailed all the more, crucify him, crucify him. Even Pilate asked the question, why? And some of you may be asking the question yourself, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Why did he have to die? Couldn't there have been another way that God, the almighty, perfect, powerful God, could have have fixed this so somebody didn't have to die? Why did somebody have to die on a cross for me? The Scripture tells us the answer to that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Why did Jesus have to die on a cross? Jesus had to die on a cross so that me and you And all those throughout history who have come to Jesus could be made righteous. That is, we could have good standing with God. That is, we could could have a relationship with God. You see, God desires to have a relationship with us. He always had from the time of Adam and Eve till the time that Jesus Christ returned. God desires to have a relationship with everyone who would come to Him. Not all do come to the Lord. But God still desires a relationship with you. He has prepared a place for you that you will one day go to if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. A wonderful and glorious place because He desires to be with you, not just for a long time, but for all of eternity. God has also prepared a place for those who reject Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus have to die on a cross for us? So that we could be made righteous. Because we are sinners. And God being a perfect sinless God, He can't be with sinners. So therefore we had to be made clean. Our sins had to be covered. 
Our sins had to be forgiven us so that we were no longer looked at as sinners, but we were looked at as pure. Jesus had to die on a cross so that we could be made righteous. That's the why. But the next question you may be asking is, well, how does Jesus dying on a cross make me righteous? I get that, okay, so Jesus died so I could be made righteous, but how, how does that happen? How, does, how do we go from Jesus dying on the cross to be, being made righteous? How does that occur? The Scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Well, there we see it. There the scripture tells us how we are made righteous. We are made righteous by the shedding of Jesus' blood. And you still may be asking, well, 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 how does that cleanse me? Well, the text says that almost everything can be made pure with blood. That's how forgiveness comes, through the shedding of blood. Now that may seem kind of weird to us, right? It may kind of seem weird to us and hard for us to understand in our culture, in our day. Now, the people who would have been around in Jesus' day would have understood this perfectly. Now, Jesus commanded in the Old Testament that to cover the sins of the people, depending on what the sin was, that certain animals would have to be killed. Justice had to be served. There had to be punishment that was given for something to be forgiven. You say, well, why does that have to be? Why does blood have to be shed for there to be forgiveness of sins? Because justice has to be served. And it's important for us to understand that, to understand what justice is. Justice means that evil is taken care of, that there is punishment doled out to those who have done wrong. The sentence is paid. We understand this because we see it in our society. Because we see evil take place in our society. And we see people do horrendous things. And we see sometimes they are sentenced to years in prison. We see sometimes they are sentenced to life in prison. Because a price has to be paid for the sin that they have committed. None of us sees evil and says, boy, I want that person to do all that evil, but I want them to get away without there having to be any punishment doled out. No, we don't say that. I can't imagine that anyone in this room would say that. We like to see justice served. It's not that we sit there and we root for bad things to happen to people, but we also understand that when people do things that are wrong, when they break the law, that they need to be punished accordingly. Now, the Bible tells us that God is a just God. If God is a just God, then that means that God cannot overlook sin. He cannot overlook when we do wrong because God is perfect. And you say, well, why can't God just overlook sin? Well, if God just overlooks sin and let us do anything we want, what kind of shape do you think our world would be in? Do you think our world would be in a better shape? I don't think so. 
When you see the horrible things that go on and you see in other countries war break out and people being oppressed, we don't sit back and say, well, nothing we can do there. They just need to keep on being oppressed and the people who are doing wrong, it's okay. They can keep doing what they want to do. No, we don't say that. We see the evil that is taking place and we say that that evil needs to be punished, that justice needs to be served. We can't overlook those things. And we're just sinful human beings. But God, who is perfect, is a just God. And God is a loving God. God can't wink an eye at sin. He can't let you get away with the little things, although we would like that to be the case. Sometimes you may see a grandma who tells you not to get a cookie from the cookie jar, and grandpa's sitting there, and he sees you reaching your hand over, and he gives you the little wink, lets you get the cookie out. It's okay. It's just a little thing. And we sometimes like to think of God in that way. You see, we want a God who punishes those really evil people in the world, not any of us who are in here, because we're in here on Easter Sunday, and we're wearing our best. God, we're not talking... God's not going to deal with us. We want a God that deals with the other people, but not with us. Because we haven't done that much bad stuff. We might have gossiped a little bit. We may have even told a little lie this week. We may have been a little deceptive in something we've done. But we don't want a God who deals with that. We like to have a God who winks at that. Ah, it's okay. You was at Sunday school and church today. You even got up at 7. Ah, it's okay. That little sin doesn't hurt. You see, that's the kind of God that we like to make up in our minds. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible does not wink at sin. He does not let little things go under the rug. He cannot because He is a perfect God and He is a just God. Therefore, when evil is done, it has to be punished. If God doesn't punish evil, He's not a good God. He's not a perfect God. He's not a loving God. Evil has to be punished. Price had to be paid. And that price that was paid for your sins and my sins was Jesus Christ. And you say, that's not fair. No, it's not fair. It's not fair at all. That's what makes God's grace so unbelievable. Because it's not fair that a man who was perfect and did no wrong would suffer and die on a cross so that we can live and do wrong. And one day, if we've put our faith and trust in Him, we can stand before God in heaven and be looked at as pure because of our sinfulness, because we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. No, it's not fair. You know what it is? It's grace. <coughs> It's grace. Somebody could say amen. amen. Thank you. Praise the Lord. This is good. Y'all don't have to be quiet. Look, this is good stuff, right? Jesus died on a cross for us so that when we stand before God, we are looked at as pure and sinless. A price had to be paid, and either we were going to have to pay the price, or Jesus was going to have to pay the price. Now, if Jesus had not come and paid the price, then that means when you and I died, we would be hopeless. We would spend an eternity in a place that God has prepared for Satan and his demons, and we would suffer for all of eternity. 
Because we would have to suffer the punishment for our own sins. Praise God that He does not make us suffer the eternal punishment of our own sins if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That our sins are washed as white as snow. And when we stand before God, Jesus Christ, our mediator, stands between us and God and He says, Father, this one is mine. This one has been covered by my blood. This one's sins are forgiven. I have paid His price. I have paid His way into heaven. I have covered His sins and He has been made clean. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But because of the shedding of Jesus Christ's blood, there is forgiveness for your sins. Jesus died on the cross so we could be made righteous. How are we made righteous? Because He paid the price and took the punishment that we deserve so we could receive the glory that only He deserves. The next question we may ask is, what? What must I do to be saved? Now some of you may have just heard these words and have heard the story of Jesus Christ and maybe the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart today. Oh, praise God. Praise God. You may be asking the question, what must I do to be saved? Well, you are not alone. There's a story in the Bible where Peter and Silas, a couple of, 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 of uh, disciples of Jesus Christ who uh, were serving him after he uh, left and went up to heaven. When I say disciples there, I'm not talking about uh, the 12 apostles. Obviously, Peter was, but Silas wasn't, but let's not get off track. But there were those followers of Christ here, Peter and Silas, and they were imprisoned and they experienced a miraculous deliverance while they were in jail. So miraculous, in fact, that when the jailer who was over them saw this experience, he asked the very same question. In Acts chapter 16, verses 29 through 31, it says, Then the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now he got it. The jailer got it. He had experienced the power of God in a mighty way. Now in that way, not through a message that was preached, but just through the miraculous act of what had just taken place. And he was moved by the Holy Spirit. He was moved by the power of God, and his question was, what must I do to be saved? And that's a good question. If you're asking that question, then praise the Lord. What you must do to be saved is accept what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. To, 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 to accept and acknowledge that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who gave His life for you on the cross so that you could be forgiven. You need to accept that. You need to believe that with all your heart. You need to ask that He would forgive you of your sins and make you as white as snow and cast your sins as far as the east is to the west. And those who do that, He is faithful to forgive you. He is faithful to come into your heart and the Holy Spirit will indwell in you and you will be a new creation. You see, apart from coming to Christ, you're just an old sinner. Just an old sinner that's doomed for hell. 
But with Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. Yeah, those sinful desires may still creep in there. Satan will still try to get you. But once we become a Christian and accept Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells in us. and brings a certain joy, a certain peace, a certain conviction that we don't do the things that we used to want to do. Because now they don't bring us pleasure. Even if we do them, we feel, we feel ashamed. We feel convicted. We know that those things are wrong. What Jesus did on the cross is nothing short of a miracle. What Jesus did on the cross, there is nothing else in the history of the world that compares to it. What Jesus did on the cross is, is, is not something that any other religion would even offer. Every other religion in the world will require something of you. That you do better, that you do more, and one day you will earn good standing with God. But the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches that there is nothing we can do, that it's already been done by Jesus Christ. There is nothing that we can do on our own because Jesus Christ has done it all. He's done everything. And anytime we think that we can do more or try to add to or do something on, you know what we're saying? We're saying, Jesus, what you did for me was not enough. When we believe that we can do more to earn God's favor, <coughs> excuse me, and we can do more to earn good standing with God. What we are saying is what Jesus did was not enough. But what Jesus did was enough. What Jesus did is all that was necessary. And we have to accept that. And we have to believe. We have to ask Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior and to forgive us. There are some people in the world who see God as weak. Well, if God is so good, why doesn't God fix all these problems we see in the world? If God is so good, why doesn't He take care of all these things that are taking place? Why doesn't God make everything better? If Jesus was so good, why don't He do something? After He died on the cross, He hightailed it back to heaven, and we hadn't heard or seen from Him since. Why don't Jesus fix all those problems? Why doesn't God fix everything? Some people will say, I don't want to serve a God like that. I don't want to serve a weak God. I don't want to serve a Savior who died on a cross. But see, people miss the big picture. People miss the big picture. There are many people who want a Jesus who is going to be stern and exercise His power to the fullest. That's what the people of Jesus' day were looking for. They were looking for and expecting a Savior who was going to come and who was going to rule and who was going to deal with evil. But that's not what Jesus looked like. Instead, what they got was a humble, compassionate man who was willing to die for them and to die for us. And praise the Lord that we didn't get a Jesus who was coming and who was going to rule sternly. Because if Jesus would have come and he would have begun to deal with all the evil, you know what, what hope we would have? None. Because we would have all been destroyed. We didn't have a Savior who came to destroy, but we, came, we have a Savior who came to give himself for us so that we could be forgiven. Some may look at Jesus and say, well, Jesus was a weak man. Well, I disagree with that. 
Well, Jesus would have been selfish and proud and used his power for his own good as the people called him to do as he was on the cross. And they said, why don't you just come down from there? In their mind, they, they saw that it would have, they saw that as a, as a Savior, as a Jesus who would have been strong. A Jesus who is strong enough to use His power to come off of that cross would have been a Jesus that then they would have been ready to follow. But they failed to realize that if Jesus would have come off of the cross, it would have been too late. Because if Jesus would have come off of the cross, Jesus would have therefore been selfish. He would have been more concerned about showing them who was boss. He would have been more concerned about ending his own pain and his own agony than he would have been about dying for the sins of you and I. Praise the Lord, we didn't have a Savior who was sinful, a Savior who used his power for himself, but instead we have a Savior who was humble. We have a Savior who had all power in the world, yet exercised all humility as He hung on the cross. You see, the world says we serve a weak Savior and a weak Lord because He's not doing anything. I say it takes a lot of strength and it takes a loving God to suffer what Jesus Christ suffered on that cross. We don't have a weak Savior we have a strong Savior. If Jesus would have used His powers for His own good, if He would have been selfish enough and cared more for Himself than He did for you and I, we would be in trouble. If Jesus would have done that, then we would not have had a Savior who was victorious. We would have had a Savior who would have lost. You see, the enemy, Satan, was trying to stop Jesus Christ from dying on the cross from the get-go. From the time that God told Adam and Eve and told the serpent that it would be the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, from that moment on, Satan tried to stop the seed of the woman from going out. Cain killed Abel, and all throughout the history from then on out through the Old Testament, we see the devil trying to stop God's people. There was always the faithful few. Even as Jesus began his ministry in the wilderness, Satan himself couldn't stop the seed. The seed had finally been born, so Satan went to Jesus Christ himself in the wilderness. And he took God's word and he began to twist that scripture and he tried to get Jesus not to go through with his mission. He tried to get Jesus to give in to the world and to use his power for himself, but Jesus would not do it because Jesus, our perfect Savior, was humble. And wanted to fulfill the will of the Father. And here on the cross, I can't help but believe that Satan put into the hearts of these people to, 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 to call out to Jesus, to mock Him, to taunt Him, to say, Prove it to us if you're the Messiah. Come off of that cross. Save yourself. But Jesus, being the strong and loving Savior that He was, He humbly died on the cross. <laughs> And he was not a savior who lost the battle. The moment that Jesus Christ died on the cross, Satan had lost. Satan had lost because Jesus had conquered sin. He had lived a perfect and sinless life. 
There was finally a sacrifice that was worthy to pay for the punishment of all of our sins that you and I and everyone else have ever committed. There was finally a sacrifice that was worth it. It was blood that was shed that was far greater than the blood of any animal. It was the perfect Son of God. And when He died on the cross, He conquered sin because He was a perfect and sinless man, the Son of God. And when He rose from the grave, He conquered death. And in that moment, Jesus Christ was victorious. We don't serve a weak Savior who is lost. We serve a weak, a strong Savior who is victorious. And that's why we come today. That's why we come every Sunday. That's why we praise God every day of our life, hopefully, because we serve a risen Savior. We serve a risen Savior who is victorious. He has defeated the enemy. He has defeated Satan and everything that Satan would throw at him. And he wants to share the victory with you. Now before all these things in the scriptures we looked at today took place, the people of Jesus' day had a choice that they could make. Now, as Pilate was hearing the people uh, yell out, crucify him, crucify him, and wanting Pilate to, to give the order to have Jesus crucified, Pilate gave them a choice. It was the custom of the people to let someone go at this time. And so Pilate says, well, here is your choice. You can let Barabbas go, who was just a criminal. He was a murderer, just an evil, gnarly guy. <coughs> Excuse me. He said, I'll let Barabbas go or I'll let Jesus go. And boy, those, those two examples there give us, give us the picture that we need to see. Jesus was a perfect, sinless man who had done no wrong. He was the example of perfection and goodness and love and kindness. And here Barabbas was the example of evil. Evil fully grown, a murderer. A man who didn't care about society, the people he was around. And the people there had a choice to make. They could either choose good or they could either choose evil. They could choose Jesus or they could choose Barabbas. They could choose the Savior of the world or they could choose a murderer. They could choose love and perfection or they could choose sin. And they chose sin. They chose sin. Now you and I here today, everybody has the same choice to make. No, we're not choosing between Jesus and Barabbas. But everyone here has a choice to make. Are you going to choose the love of God, the love and forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ, are you going to choose sin? It's just that simple. There is no other Savior. There is no other redemption. There is no other way by which man can be saved other than by the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross and us putting our faith, hope, and trust in that, accepting Him as our Lord and Savior, and asking Him to forgive us of our sins. There's no other way. So that's your choice. You choose Jesus, you choose love, you choose forgiveness, or you can choose to live a life of sin. Now I would hope that no one would walk out of this door today choosing sin over Jesus. I pray that there will be no one in this room today 
that will walk through those doors and you have walked out of here today with the Holy Spirit convicting your heart, with you realizing that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, with you realizing that Jesus is the Son of God, with you knowing that forgiveness is there free to you if you will ask. I hope there's no one here today that will reject that and say, I would rather live in sin. You've heard the best story ever told here today. You've heard the story of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and what He did for you. This is not a fictional tale. This really happened because Jesus loves you. You have a choice to make. Will you choose sin, or will you choose the perfect Son of God who humbly died so that you could be forgiven? Let's pray. God, we come to you today, and we thank you for these words. I pray that if there's one in this room that is just living in sin and just and struggling, dear Lord, and, and, and realizing today for the first time that they need the blood of Jesus to cover them, that they need forgiveness, God. They realize for the first time today that a price had to be paid, a sacrifice had to be made, and Jesus made that sacrifice for them. God, I pray that you help them to get that today. God, I pray that you would just convict them and allow them to Follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit, dear Lord, that they would ask Jesus to forgive them, that they would ask Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, that they would come down here as we sang this song of invitation, dear Lord, and make that public and say, look, I have chosen Jesus. God, that they would follow through with baptism just as your word commands. God, I thank you that we can come here today. I thank you for your good words today. And I pray that as we leave this place, the Holy Spirit would bring joy in our heart knowing that we serve a Savior who is not weak, that we serve a Savior who didn't lose, but God, we serve a Savior who is strong, who is full of love, and who is victorious. And God, we thank you for sending that Savior to share in that victory with us so that we can receive the grace we don't deserve. But we thank you for it, God. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>